Pastor John here welcoming you to our service. Today you'll hear about a special hiding place I had as a child, a place that felt safe and secure. We all like that concept, particularly when we're young, don't we? Except as we age, we find out that there are very few, if any, truly safe and secure hiding places. In Psalm 32, we hear that David has found just such a place. Where is it? Well, let's join our service and find out. Turn to Psalm 32. While you're turning there, let me just share this with you. Uh, neighborhood I grew up in, Youngstown. Um, a small neighborhood. Um, a lot of kids in the neighborhood. I had one best friend. His name was Sam. He's just a really great guy. We were about the same age. And we, we found this very special place, uh, not too far from our houses. We lived close together. And it was a small pond. Uh, surrounded by trees. It was quiet. It was private. Um, and Sam and I could go there and just while away a, an entire afternoon, sometimes a whole day. Uh, and you would think that something that quiet and that private would be a place where uh, two adolescent boys could get in a lot of trouble. Uh, but it came. It became a little bit of a sanctuary, a place where we could talk about our dreams and what we wanted to do with our lives, where we wanted to go and and you know, all those sorts of things, daydreaming and looking forward and just realizing all the potential we had. And so it was a hiding place. Um, it was a, a, a place where we felt safe, a place where we felt secure. Uh, and we we all need a hiding place. We all need a place like that, don't we? Uh, a place where we could feel uh, like we can be ourselves. And, and so we need that, but it's really hard to find. And the question is, how do we get there? How do we get to that hiding place? Uh, now, we're going to try and answer that today in Psalm 32. But last week, we heard about the uh, vitally crucial role repentance plays in being forgiven. When we repent contritely and with whole hearts, we are truly and completely forgiven. In today's passage, we're going to see where that type of repentance and that level of forgiveness can lead us. Our sermon today is our hiding place. Now, Psalm 32, uh, is there's a little heading up there. It says it's a masculine of David. Uh, masculine, what is that? Well, it, it, there's an inference. We, we don't know the exact meaning, but there's an inference that it's a song uh, composed with great artistry, using strong imagery, strong poetry, partly for teaching, mostly for praising. It's a liturgical term, so it means that the song is supposed to be used regularly as part of a worship ceremony. So it is in all respects what we would call a worship song today. Uh, and that's what the Psalms are. They are they're worship songs that God has given us. That, you know, we understand the, the concept of inspiration. We know that, that these words are words that God has given to us so that we can give them back to him. Uh, this is how God wants us to worship him. These are songs that Jesus would have sung. Um, there are hymns that we have done, and, and yet there are a lot of different types, uh, but it's God's way of saying, here's the appropriate way to worship me. So Psalm 32 is one of those, um, and it presents itself in three stanzas, just like any song would. There are stanzas there. The first one is confession. That'll be verses 1 through 5. In verses 6 through 7, we will see a counsel. Uh, and in verses 8 through 11, we'll see a commission. So let's take a look at this 
this first stanza confession, starting with verse 1. Now, the other thing that psalms do is they come to us in voices. Sometimes they have two, sometimes three or more different voices. And so the first voice we're going to hear in this psalm is David. David is speaking. And in verse 1, he says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there's no deceit. That is verse 2. So David has repented. Uh, Maybe from the incident with Bathsheba that we saw in Psalm 51 last week, uh, we need to understand Psalms are not in chronological order. Maybe he's repented from something else, but what we do know, he's found that repentance brings a blessing. So David is very deliberate in starting these first two verses with the same word. Um, To a Jewish reader, this would indicate that the second line builds upon the first. They're not two separate blessings. The second one rises up as a result of the first. So what we find out is if you repent, you are blessed. But then you are further blessed because of that blessing of repentance with no record of your sin and a clean spirit. Now, this is the cleansing and renewal David was speaking of in Psalm 51. He has the new heart that he asked for in that psalm. Now, this brings David to a realization. We see it in verse 3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. So, at first, David avoided confession. He avoided repentance. That avoidance had a physical impact on him. Not just physical, but he was emotionally and physically exhausted. He wept. He cried. And he he hurt. This is rising up from deep down inside him. He was not just preoccupied with his sin. He was being consumed by it. Worse yet, verse 4, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer, Selah. Now, we don't know what Selah means, but it's part of our our inspired scripture. So it it goes along with that that verse. So some of us, David's hurting. Uh, It's day and night. Uh, God's hand is heavy upon him. Some of us know what David's going through. It's not just the weight of what he's done. It is his separation from God. God's absence from his day. David feels like, have you ever seen a picture of the one lonely flower growing out of a crack in a rock in the desert? Uh, those, those pictures are usually taken in the morning because that fragile plant doesn't have much chance of existence. Matter of fact, if you go there in the middle of the day, it's, it's gone. It's wilted. It's shriveled up. Uh, David feels like a fragile plant wilting in the desert. He's drained. He's wasting away. His soul is parched, and he's haunted by images of what he's done, and he is weakened physically by the entire affair. So that seems pretty dismal. It seems serious, and it is. But there's hope here. When David had enough of his self-indulgence, when he had enough of holding back from confessing, from repenting, he did this, verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. He said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. David confesses. He gets down on his knees, and he asks for forgiveness. And you know what? The forgiveness comes immediately. 
There's no hesitation. There's no, there's nothing David has to do. He doesn't have to do penance. He doesn't have to go through some ritual or everything. He is immediately forgiven. And look at this. We see God gives forgiveness for the iniquity of David's sins. Now, there's two things here, sin and iniquity. David is freed of his guilt. Not only is David's sin forgiven, but his guilt is removed. David's confession has made him new in every way. Now, the amazing thing is the guilt is removed. And, you know, so what we find out is with repentance and confession, our sin is forgiven and our guilt is removed. Now, sometimes we want to hold on to that guilt, don't we? Sometimes we want to carry it around with it. God sets us free of it. He says, you don't have to have this burden anymore. So David, all of a sudden, has all this weight lifted from him, and his spirit is renewed, his relationship with his father is renewed, and he goes into our second stanza, which is counsel. David wants everyone who hears his song to know that this sort of blessing is available to them as well. It's not just for David. So he utters this prayer to God, asking God to help those who are struggling. And at the same time, as he prays to God, he gives counsel to those he's praying for. David's kind of saying, here's my prayer. Read this. Understand what it says. Verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you, God, at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Now, this emergency here, David said, do it now. Do it with your whole heart. Do it at a time when you, God, may be found. That's a curious phrase, isn't it? Are there times when God is hard to find? What does David mean when he says at a time when you may be found? Listen carefully. David's hesitation to repent created distance between him and God. Not that God moved away from him, but David moved away from God. And once he got in trouble, when he was caught up in his circumstances, like rushing waters, he says, carrying him along in a tumultuous current, he found that God was hard to find. The torrent carrying him away further and further away from God and distracting him from the relationship that he needs so desperately that will pull him out of that, that current and save him. So what does that look like? How does that distance occur? We've all been through something like this, haven't we? We've been through it in our personal relationships. We run into a problem, maybe with another brother or sister in the faith, or maybe someone closer to us. So how do we handle it? We avoid them. We think if we don't talk to them, then we won't have to face the problem. We won't have to deal with it. In effect, and if you stop and think about this, and you know what this is like. You've had an argument with somebody that was a disagreement, or maybe they've hurt you. And you've gotten away from the pain, and you're trying to deal with it, and you're at the supermarket, and they turn down the aisle you just turned down, and you see them all the way to the end of the aisle, and your first instinct is to turn around and go the other way, hoping that they haven't seen you. And what has happened is we've become a prisoner, a prisoner to that person, a prisoner to the fear of dealing with them or with the problem. It's hard to realize, but the solution is to face it head on and deal with it or him or her in as godly a fashion as possible. And so, and when we do that, 
We're no longer prisoner. And if you've had this experience, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When we deal with it, when we go up and bless them, when we greet them with a smile and ask how they're doing or or whatever type of greeting we have, uh, all of a sudden we're unburdened. And now the burden's on them. How they react doesn't have any impact on the fact that we are now free of that burden of not confronting that person, of, of, of not being able to deal with the problem that we have. So that's true in our personal relationships, but I got to tell you something, it is even more true in our relationship with God. Something comes between us, between us and God, we're reluctant to deal with it, and we become prisoners to it. We get separated from God because of it. The fear keeps us away, or pride keeps us away. Uh, and dealing with it causes us to go numb spiritually. And the longer we wait, the worse it gets. And all of a sudden we realize it feels like God's not so easy to find anymore. It's what David's talking about. And we long for that intimacy. We long for a time when God can be found. Now David is praying for you and for me not to fall into that trap, not to find ourselves in need of his help and grace, and feeling distant from him. David wants us to keep a healthy relationship with God at all times, not just when we need help. If we're not practicing that relationship, not working to keep it vibrant and vital, it's going to be hard to find him when we finally turn to him. Now, if we can do that, if we can work on our relationship, and, and this is how relationship works, yeah, you know, when we're in a relationship with somebody, we have to put effort into it. We have to get to know him. It's the same thing with God. How do we get to know God? Well, we immerse ourselves in his word. Uh, we pray. We go to church and, and relate with people who are going through the same process. And so if we can do that, if we can practice and work on our relationship with, with God, then he becomes someone safe, someone we can trust someone we can depend on, someone who will protect us, who will provide for us, who will equip us. And David describes this type of relationship in verse 7. He says to God, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. God becomes our hiding place our shelter, our peace, our joy. He encompasses us in his deliverance, in his blessings. He becomes, he becomes our home. David's counsel, his prayer is that God will become our safe and secure hiding place. Now this takes us to our third stanza, the commission. And now the voice changes. Now we hear from God. This is God's response to David. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God answers David's confession and counsel with some counsel of his own. He begins by assuring David that he's not alone, that God will direct his steps, and that he sees David. Now, this is an incredible thing, as when we're going in trouble, uh, when we're going through a hard time, it's hard to think about our relationship with God. And there are times when we we can convince ourselves pretty well that God just doesn't see what's going on, that maybe God doesn't really know us as well as we thought 
he, he did. But I got to tell you something. God says of us that he knows every hair on our head. Now, now some of us, that, that doesn't take as long to get to know as others, okay? But God knows every hair on our head. He knows us so intimately. He knows us better than we do ourselves. He not only knows us, he sees he sees David. He sees us. He's aware of our situation. He's aware of our pain. He's aware of our hurt. He's aware of our grief. He understands it. And as a direct result of the repentance that we offer up in our relationship to God, that our relationship is not only restored, it will grow stronger. It will be more intimate. It will be closer. And so there's all these wonderful guarantees but there's a caution here as well. Now, we've seen that in verse 9. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which you must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. So God says, don't do this again. Don't be stubborn and allow the things you do, your stumbles and your mistakes, to come between us. If you, if you allow this to happen again, then these blessings and, and this peace and this safe place that I have will not stay near you. God gives us this level of comfort and assurance. We see it in, nine, in verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. So this growing trust in the Lord of the one who humbles himself before the Lord, the one who repents, the one who turns away from his sin and pursues righteousness and holiness, will be encompassed, immersed in the love of God, will be immersed in his comfort, uh, in his power, and his presence. Now, all that gives every believer a reason to celebrate. We see that in 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. God's commission, his calling to those who repent. You don't have to read too far in between the lines to see this. It's trust me. Trust me and I'll take care of you. Do the things that I direct you to do and you will be immersed in my love. So we've seen these three stanzas. First one, confession. Confession brings not only forgiveness, but victory over and the removal of guilt. It brings joy, freedom, intimacy with the Father. This means that God has lifted guilt from you. You don't have to carry that burden around anymore. You are acquitted. You are found not guilty by the creator of the universe. And the great thing about that is you're found not guilty because of anything you've done. All you've done is repent. You're found not guilty because of the work that Christ has done on the cross. He's taken the wrath of the Father. He's absorbed it all. He's paid for your sin. He's paid for your freedom. And you know, he says he says to the, the guys in the upper room, here's my bread and here's my body. And, and they're not getting it right then, but, but they're going to get it very soon because he goes to the cross and the wrath of God comes down upon him. They put him in the tomb. And three days later, he comes out. Three days later, he comes out. You know, it's not just that he was crucified. It's that he rose again. And he comes out and he, he's risen again. And he, and he turns to his disciples and he says, See, everything I told you is real. This resurrection affirms 
everything that I've taught you. It's all true. You don't have to be guilty anymore. So we see the counsel, David's counsel, his advice is for us to be diligent to work on our relationship with our father. Not just when we are in trouble, not just when we need him, but always so that when we do need him, we're familiar with him, with his word, and we know how to approach him and what to ask for. We can find him easily. And in all that, God gives a commission. And the calling is to trust God in all circumstances, not just when things are going good, but when things are going bad, even if they're going very bad. It's the kind of trust that should rise up out of a long-term, day-to-day building of our relationship with him, working at it all the time so that when the wheels fall off, and we know that's going to happen, when we slip up, when we encounter suffering or hardship, we know where our hiding place is. Because we all need a hiding place, don't we? Sam and I stumbled upon ours in that neighborhood. And, you know, it, it, it was a beautiful place. Uh, but in preparing for the sermon, I went back to Google Earth and got down into my neighborhood and went to where that hiding place is. It's not there anymore. It's gone. Everything's overgrown. The pond's gone. There's no evidence that it was ever there. And so what, what I discovered is that those earthly hiding places that we build, that we concoct, that we find, they're not really safe at all. They can come and they go. Other people can find them. They can be invaded. And I didn't find that out until many years later. Uh, it, it wasn't really a hiding place at all. But the hiding place that you build, particularly if you build it on the foundation of Jesus Christ, an eternal hiding place, a heavenly hiding place, with Jesus Christ as a cornerstone, it's not only sec- secure and safe, but it's eternal. And it's guaranteed by the work that Jesus did on the cross. Run to him. He's our hiding place. He's our safe place. Don't allow unrepentant sin to come between you and God. Let that relationship remain vital and intimate and work to maintain it. You just need to do a little bit. God will do the rest. God bless you. Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Would you click on the like button below that little thumbs up? If you're listening on sermon audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at WBFVA. We're on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at wbfva.org. Just click on giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.